2: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated station or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only.
0: troops spin around smartly on a planet I know we've been dealing with a lot of weather issues and I really want everybody to be understanding that we're building a show here among our friends and uh, our condolences to all you that lost friends relatives in the hurricane or tornadoes and we wish we could be there to help, but we are the older crowd, being that, uh, well, myself, I'll be 70 this year. I'm in Gulf Breeze, Florida. My associates, uh, Richard T. Knight, is in Georgia with our new friend, Ben Pelham. Now, Richard is roughly 65, and Ben Pelham, 84 years young, so uh being that I started with Grandpa being 108 years old, nine months, uh, this show is dedicated to all those that have passed over in our UFO Association and as veterans. All three of us are veterans, and we're doing our best to uh, help provide information, open source intelligence, uh, being that we're all prior veterans, and uh, we've just got I guess more time on our hands than we know what to do with. <laughs> I don't know. We're still alive, and uh, this gives us something to share. I've got the new not-for-profit Ascension Cosmos Oracle Sport, Uh and uh, we're going to be a nonpartisan, not-for-profit uh, information group. And today we're specializing in UFO Association, I began years ago when my husband was alive, Thomas R. Morris, God bless his soul, from 1959 to 2015, and Stanton T. Friedman, uh, who was the father of ufology, and uh, I'll read you uh, his time on the planet. Since we're the old three guys, I'm a woman, uh, but I share my resources with people I trust and Stanton was one of those I trusted now he was born July 29th 1934 in Elizabeth New Jersey so he is a U.S. citizen for those of you wondering if he was uh, he was dual citizenship now I got that from him firsthand he married a woman I believe from Toronto Canada but he died May 13th 2019 at the Toronto Pearson International Airport in Canada, uh, his education was from the University of Chicago. He had a master's in science, and uh, he married Mer- Marilyn Kimball. And he had uh, Susie Virginia Portal, 1974. So I guess she's still alive. He wrote uh, Top Secret Magic, captured the Betty and uh, Betty and Barney Hill story, crash at Corona. And he sent me his two books, uh, uh, signed, what do they call that, autographed. (laughs) I couldn't even think of the word. And uh, he is Stanton Terry Friedman, and God bless his soul, nuclear physicist and professional ufologist. So he is the father of ufology, as far as I am concerned, that helped me start the original UFO Association, now, I met J. Allen Hynek uh, while I was in the Navy, and I was at the Air Force Base, uh, Hickam. No, I was at uh, in Denver, Lowry Air Force Base. And uh, then I got my clearance, Q clearance and all that. But J. Allen Hynek up in a jet airplane asked me to continue the work, and I didn't even know what that meant, okay? I wasn't into the UFO or community or anything like that. So I got recruited at a very young age, but I'd already had a husband working at NASA in 1967, so I fit right in. And I went to a UFO meeting in '84 with ladies. It was John Gray's mother that owned Aquarian Radio. And uh, I just became a law enforcement agent, investigator, and on into the 20 hundreds of 2007 six and seven we started with stan and my husband to uh just start doing blogs and radio shows and talking about books so stan actually uh, was on my first uh, few shows first three or four shows with me and janet carol lesson so god bless his soul and tom did too so we have about nine years of archives here, if you'd like to come back and listen, but for without further ado, i'm going to bring on my two gentlemen because I consider my resources today as a gentleman's thing we had win, win stu- yesterday that it turned out to be we had uh Pelham harry uh Harry dames come on yesterday, but today is Ben Pelham and Richard T. Knight, but let me, or this is Richard's time to shine and Ben's. Richard, I'm going to turn you on and turn Ben on at the same time, but Richard, you introduce yourself first, and then we'll let our guest, Ben Pelham. Go ahead, Richard. I'm going to mute. Okay, well,
2: good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Richard Knight, and I am a theologian and a parapsychologist and uh, paranormal investigator and prior army service and into religious science and spirituality and I have had a few encounters with uh, UFOs and so forth which has intrigued me over the years Um, and I am prior law enforcement both on a federal and state level and uh, all of those kind of things. So I wear, I've worn many hats, uh, and I've done civil and criminal investigations as well as paranormal investigations and seen all kinds of strange and unusual things. So that's where I'm coming from, basically. Uh, now I have the pleasure of introducing Mr. Ben Pelham. Uh, he is also prior veteran naval service, 20 years, and uh, He has had lots of uh, insights in regards to UFO topics or UFO discoveries um, and different things in regards to our uh, government space programs, I'll put it that way. Mr. Pelham, are you there?
1: Yes, sir, Richard. How are you?
2: I'm doing fine, thanks.
1: It's good to be on with you and... Teresa, and, and, and your wonderful audience, uh, I appreciate that. A little background on me, uh, I was raised in uh, North Georgia and uh, did several things, worked as a plumber, boy, and I'm sure I'm going to forget something, uh, I worked for a veterinarian <laughs> Joined the Navy, stayed in there for a 20-year retirement and I retired from the Navy in uh, 1976. So I've been collecting checks for a long time from Uncle Sam. And uh, I, re- I was in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, when I, when I retired. In recent years, say about the last three years, uh, my son got me interested in uh, UFO research. He had uh, been interested in it since he was a young boy. And he had actually bought books that I didn't know anything about. I didn't really realize he was that interested in it. But he and I uh, started uh, watching a lot of videos and doing a lot of web research and uh, casting to our uh, living room TV, and we've learned a lot. We've we've seen uh, many, many videos there posted by Stephen, uh, uh, I'm having a senior moment here, uh, Greer. Dr. Greer, he interviewed uh, uh, more than 400 uh, people and and, uh, made made video of his conversations, and uh, he got to a lot of people before they died. Many of them were senior military scientists and senior uh, enlisted as well. And there's a gold uh, absolute treasure there on uh, YouTube that you can go and just put in Dr. Stephen Greer dash witness testimony, and that'll bring up all those videos that he has posted there. So that got me, uh, got me going, got me, uh, got me interested. So I branched out and started looking for it for about everybody else that's that's in ufology. I've seen lots of uh, the work of Embry Smith and. And, uh, and Corey Goode and, and David Wilcox, uh, all of them. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, there was a man in Holland. Uh, he got me started. Uh, I'll think of his name in a second. I'm having trouble getting his name right now. But anyway, we'll say he was in Holland or the Netherlands, and he had some, uh, some wonderful research, and uh, I, I, I was a subscribed to his channel and uh, he had found an underwater uh, installation that he believes was uh, uh, that he believes extraterrestrial, and I thought so too. I went there; it was in northern uh, northern Canada, is where it was, and uh, I thought, uh, in in looking at it, I could as I got there and and put in the coordinates and whatnot, I could see the the uh, sound of the water. So I zoomed in really tightly, and uh, there's where I discovered you can zoom in and and find a lot of things. And I went on to find, and I'll shorten this a little bit, Richard, I I went on to find many other instances of uh, what I consider underwater extraterrestrial installations. Uh, Most of them are in the uh, Antarctic Antarctic area there, and uh, especially around uh, Mawson Station, uh, a bunch of those. Uh, there's a bunch around there. Casey, uh, Casey Station and Palmer Station, you'll find things on my website. So I put the stuff that I'm finding on Earth. I uh, built a little website called uh, e- etishere.com, etishere.com, and you can see my Earth research. Now I'll skip ahead to my uh, to my lunar research, and I had a really good fortune of finding uh, an industrial complex in, in the north polar area of uh, of, the, of Earth's moon. It's it's uh, on the edge of Hermite Crater, and uh, I have a website called PelhamPlanetaryResearch.com. And if you go in there and go into your photos, then you can you'll find the Earth's moon there. Just click that and you can see about fifteen or sixteen really good photos of that complex. At the bottom of it, I'd like all your audience to know they can go there too, because I've got instructions down below there on how to how to use the worldwide telescope and go to that spot and actually acquire their own images. One other uh, thing that's important to me, and I'd I'd like to discuss some today with with your audience, is uh, the planet, the gas giant uh, Uranus, U-R-A-N-U-S. I discovered, uh, using my research techniques that that I was able to get, and I was able to reveal that, that there's two huge combination lock-like mechanisms on both poles of that planet, and uh, Lord only knows how, how long they've been there. I don't know if it's a machine or what the uh, the builders of it had in mind or have in mind if they're still there. But I've got the exact instructions uh, on my. I uh, have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's on Ben Pelham, and that, just type that into your YouTube browser, and and I have uh, a video on there showing just how I went about getting that image so that the listeners can also get, uh, get their own images of it. I'm still trying to find out what that is. I want to get a, a remote viewer to re- remote view that sometime as well as the industrial complex on the moon. So that was a long introduction, uh, Richard, but I'm glad to be with you, and Teresa, and your audience today.
2: Well, that was certainly fascinating, to say the least. Uh, you know, that, of course, I, I would agree that there are probably some kind of complexes under our oceans in various places. And Antarctica, of course, came uh, to the light of the press probably, I want to say, During the Obama administration, at least, and possibly through his successor, and even now, uh, they were indicating that there was some kind of discovery at the the, on the surface of Antarctica, and that they it was all hush hush. In other words, they didn't they didn't want to talk about it or or specify exactly what it was. But they had found machines of some kind, and they had also found artifacts uh, that there had been some kind of outpost or civilization there that that was not necessarily of human origin. Um, have you ever specifically had any encounters with any UFOs, per se, or uh, any sightings or anything uh, of that nature, Ben?
1: Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I'm getting ready to, to get some uh, binoculars that will let me get out and do some ob- observing. I've also got the, I believe it's called CE5 uh, app on my on my phone by by Dr. Stephen Greer, and so I'm I'm moving in that direction right now. But I've never seen a, a, a UFO at all. And I, I really hope the Lord leaves me on uh, on Earth long enough to not only see UFOs but some of His other beings that He has in the planets. I'd like to interject, Richard, if I can. The man of the name in the the man in in the Netherlands that inspired me through all of his work posted on YouTube is a wonderful researcher by the name of Herbert Klein. That's K L E I N. I just had a senior moment and couldn't think of the old boy, but he's a marvelous researcher. He's uh, he's got uh, several YouTube's uh, videos uh, in the an- Antarctic area also. And he's got more stuff up in the uh, up above Canada there in the in the uh uh in the Arctic Ocean up there. But good research and I recommend everybody uh, uh go to Herbert Klein on the uh, YouTube and, and look at his work. He does wonderful work. One other man if I could uh, mention uh here is uh Jimmy Roberts has uh a channel on uh, YouTube called uh the real Jimmy Roberts one he's got several interesting things on there about Mars and also some work he's done on the moon that is quite interesting I, I would recommend to your audience okay Richard that's it I wanted to mention uh, Herbert Klein and all of that uh, those installations you alluded to I'd really love to see them and I, I can't wait till we find out what's really down there
2: that's true um, you know, and, and like I said, I'm sure our government has known for a long time the presence of extraterrestrials, as far as uh, taking photographs and tracking them in our atmosphere, and as well as you know uh, being seen by various pl- pilots of the Navy as well as the Air Force. Uh, there's been several documentations and even pictures released in the last couple of years documenting and attesting to the, their presence uh, of course there is no way of knowing exactly what ships or craft belong to who uh, I do know that you know that there's been a lot of activity in area 51 and also area 52 uh, both of which have been dedicated to uh, discovering uh, Various uh, projects and programs uh, related to uh, extraterrestrial science and, and that kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. Now, think, on a personal uh, bit, go ahead.
1: No, I'm. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, I was going to interject that Emery Emery Smith has a uh, uh, a lot of experience. Uh, there in, in that Area 51 uh, underneath there. I've seen him talk about that on several shows and uh, Emery is a wonderful presenter there at Gaia. I'm sure you you know about him but he's one that if you've got uh, listeners in your audience that are just newcomers, I recommend very much that they look for Emery Smith, his work on Gaia as well as David Wilcock and, and others. There's a there's a real wealth of information there. Also, Dr. Sala has a lot of work out and wonderful research that, that he's doing. And uh, I noticed that Dr. Stephen Greer at, at Gaia, they uh, believe he's he made a total of uh, ten different episodes that uh, they're going to be having on Gaia.com, and that, that those are a real treasure that people could, could cash in on if they will.
2: That sounds interesting, for sure. I have watched uh, various videos on Gaia, and I am familiar with Mr. Wilcox and uh, yes, Mr. So. Greer, to some extent, anyway. Um, on a more personal level, of course, uh, I was abducted when I was five years old, um, and I can see it happening just like it happened yesterday. Um, I was taken into a craft, and I was... um, I saw beings that were not uh, humanoid. Um, There were various color hues, and I was not the only child aboard this very large craft. Um, From my understanding, I believe that they had placed a tracking device in my nasal cavity, uh, the reason being that uh, it took me 30 years to get it actually physically withdrawn from my physical self, but uh, from the point that I was returned back to the earth, uh, I had started again having trouble breathing thereafter. So I always thought that something was not you know not quite right or what have you. Um, but who who exactly they were and all of this kind of knowledge uh, is. Is questionable, You know, I mean, at the age of five, of course, you're curious, but you're not quite uh, developed to the extent that you would recognize or be able to absorb a great deal of knowledge. And I mean, you know, I could have been on board for two or three hours, uh, but it seemed like a very short period of time to me. And when I did, was returned to the earth at the time, uh, it, there had been a couple hours that had actually passed. So... That was my first encounter with E.T.'s, per se. Uh, then later in, in my later teens, uh, I, what, I had an encounter of the third kind, you could say almost like from a television movie, because I was driving up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I was uh, decided that I would stop and get a sandwich and something to drink for lunch at one of the uh, roadside stands, you could say. And there was a parking area directly across from where the... Uh, little store was, and so I went and I parked, and and, you know I was listening to music and enjoying my drink and having my sandwich, and I happened to look across from me, and just above the tree line, which we're talking maybe a couple hundred feet or so in the air, there was a craft that was uh, saucer-like, and it was silver in color, and it was just hovering there in the air. Now, the odd thing was that uh, as soon as I recognized that it was there— The engine stopped and the radio stopped and I'm sitting there looking at this thing and I'm presuming they were observing me. Now, I don't know if they were checking on me because of my prior experience and they had been tracking me all this time because I was approximately 18 years old at the time. So, uh, I don't know if that's what the occasion was or exactly what. But, you know, naturally it made me very curious and I actually got out of the car and you know made certain that I wasn't just seeing things um and then I, as I sat back down in the car uh the craft just went straight up in the air and just disappeared and as it dis- as it was in the process of disappearing the engine started back and so did the radio so that <laughs> was kind of kind of trippy <laughs> that's
1: um, an interesting experience
2: <laughs> yeah and, and again unfortunately like I it. I can't identify exactly who it was, you know, uh, other than, you know, the craft appeared not something that we would make. But uh, at that distance, you know, there was really no way to get real detailed look at it other than the fact that it was saucer type and and it appeared that the outermost rim of it was spinning in, you know, circular motion. But uh, it was very strange naturally that of course I don't know if it was magnetics, I don't know if it was, you know, some kind of electrical ray or exactly what that in turn controlled my car because it was it would seem to me that they wanted to check on me in some way because other they wanted to make certain that I just didn't drive away. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> that's quite an experience. Um, yeah. That was a special experience. That just doesn't happen to to too many people, for sure. Sounds to me like maybe they were tracking you uh, for you to have two different incidents like that. Maybe they were checking on you, Richard.
2: Could be, Uh, you know. uh, Not absolutely certain about it, but uh, I've, I've had instances where you know it's like you're in one place, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in another place. And it's like time is not uh, figured into the equation or whatever, simply because when you return, it's like uh, the time has lapsed, but you weren't even aware that it was lapsing. And so I, I don't know you know, if that was... I was teleported in some way, shape, or form from one place to another and then you know uh, entertained while I was at that other place and then in turn... Uh, forever, However long the time lapsed, I, I, in turn, was returned to back where I'd been, and, uh, you know, it, it's very hard to put into words, and, of course, I'm sure it must sound rather strange and even bizarre to most people. But there <laughs> I'd, like to get on of
0: that, I'd like to get in on the, that weird and bizarre conversation, if you don't mind.
2: <laughs> well, by all means, chime in. Hello, Hello, Teresa. <laughs>
0: Hey, Ben, how you doing? You doing I'm, okay I'm today? I'm doing good. Thank you, ma'am. Yep, so you survived hurricane and all that, and I did too. It's a sunny day, Ben, so I don't have yeah. that dark cloud over me. But, yeah, Ben, I'd like you to know that not only when I was a child was I taken up and I didn't understand the meeting a Another family is what I'd call our original family. And then uh, these are typical age brackets where we have discovered in alienology and ufology with Stanton T. Friedman and others that we were establishing but not really clarifying with others. However, many of the younger generation, being that I'm 70, did pick up in the Internet uh, memes and hoopla out there, the stories, and recreated their own. Now, whether they're real or not, we don't know, but we have worked, and uh, Raymond Moody and Leo Sprinkle, or some of the old names, uh, studying death and dying, but I had an out-of-body, and from the time I was four or five. Then, at uh, the second grade, I was taken up uh, because I had plus, uh, lost, I had turned yellow and had hepatitis B, so this is considered also, like a near-death experience uh, during a hospital where um, my skin had turned yellow and I was sick for over a year, but I had hepatitis. We don't know how I got it, but when I came, was in the hospital, and I saw two angels. So we don't know if that's extraterrestrial as well because while I was a child, I was visited by a little ET or gray I called Leo or Cleo or one of each, Uh, Male, female, I don't know Because uh, these stories are now Just stories in my head But I have videos that play out Now, so we're talking When I was like 4, 55 And then Sputnik came over 57 And then second grade With hepatitis seeing a couple of angels in the room But I never left my body then I just sat on the I was on the hospital bed When they took all my blood out They brought one of the first dialysis Machines up and uh, took my blood out, so I had a sighting of two extraterrestrials or angels. Now, at that time, I willed myself. Uh, I don't know if this was pre-programmed with uh, interdimensionals or extraterrestrials, because the jury's still out among ufologists and alienologists. I don't know anyone that's been. Uh, legally and medically uh, claimed or uh, qualified to assist me in my investigations. Uh, I was a law enforcement criminal justice investigator, arson, fraud, segregation, and I think a lot of why fly- I became a law enforcement criminal justice and uh, worked for the government in DOD, Department of Navy, Department of Defense, who went into Office of Personnel Management and Security, was dear to uh, the UFO business. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but when I was a child going to Los Alamos uh, over in White Sands, my uncles were working there. So uh, I don't know how this ties in with Richard's story, but I've asked Richard to help me compile uh, sort of a linear timeline for he and I on this because uh, for people like you that do uh, study but you just – dropped names earlier of people I've known that were younger boys coming up in the business way after (laughs) Stanton T. Friedman but I know who you're talking about Michael Greer was a a Michael Sala, Dr. Michael Sala of Australia living in Hawaii Uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Greer, uh, MD and he actually came down here to Gulf Breeze on on a certain thing but Emery uh, Smith uh, I know about him and uh, how he uh, signed up with Gaia but he studied under Stephen Greer, and he studied with David Wilcock and Corey Good. I know his story in the blue, Avion people, and he was studying. I saw him, you know, with David Wilcock, and they all started with David, who lived a couple of years in Kentucky with the lady that did the Law of One. So I'd like you to look at her because she's part of this story, Carla McCarty. It was Carla Ruckert uh, McCarty. She married Jim McCarty, and she studied ufology uh, with Jim uh, what was Jim's name at the University of Kentucky? Now, I'm having a senior moment, Ben. I heard you say earlier when I was listening to you.
2: Anyway, Jim,
0: uh, what was Jim's name? Darn it. Well, he was a ufologist, but he got on the map early out of uh University of Kentucky, and everybody knew of him and her study and studying how extraterrestrials and channels, whether it was God and Jesus, they set up a little thing where they had her a Bible and candles and said she was... Uh, Uh, Channeling a law of one So during the new age Back in the 70's We were all doing that I've got a book here I started my company With Ascension Age And uh, this is all part now Of our story Because law of one And her and David Wilcock All the people you're talking about Are all familiar with her channeling Which uh, it was pretty good It affected the world pretty good In the new age community But anyway I did some of myself And I was uh, While I talk about myself from the second grade, stay on a linear timeline. Uh, Going over there, I went to White Sands, New Mexico, and I had a UFO experience, Ben. Uh, A UFO, uh, now whether it was government or not, I don't know. Uh, Folks, don't hold me to it because uh, this is strictly a UFO association with, you know, it's my husband uh, who worked for... The intelligence community and President Reagan wanting to know the real truth, and so this is a form of disclosure. But with uh, the the truth that comes out of my mouth was I went over there based on the fact that somehow from the time I was out of my body at the hospital to wanting to go – I wanted to go underground to that White Sands, Carlsbad Caverns. And I didn't know I was going to have another extraterrestrial experience or get to see a UFO because I was laying in the bed in St. Francis Hospital in Monroe, Louisiana. But at that year, second grade, now, Ben, think about you're 84. But when I was just seven, five, six, or seven, I don't remember. I know I started school at four, turning five in the first grade. But then that would put five, six, second grade when I had hepatitis. And I didn't get to go until I was... 7, 8, I guess, 3rd grade. But uh, going into the 4th would be 8, 9. So uh, I was going into the summer of the 4th grade because it took me about a year to learn to walk, talk, and breathe. And I was fainting outside, and these ETs would come pick me up in little orbs like out of Wizard of Oz is the way I described it. Pick me up, stand me up when I was uh, in Monroe. But anyway, I guess these ET people this other family that I somehow met as a child uh, willed me to go over there and see this UFO land in White Sands, New Mexico, as strange as that sounds. And uh, so I got to go on board a ship, and uh, I just described with the other kids on the ship. It was a learning experience. I came right back off. But I was with a 10-year-old boy and a 12-year-old girl that were cousins of mine, and they put them to sleep on the sand dune. I don't know how they did it, because they're the ones that said, "Look, a flying saucer," and it came down. We were on top of the white sand dune, and it landed. So, like I said, I don't know why I was willed to go there. I don't really know how I was encouraged. I, uh, one, I guess I came so close to death. My grandmother believed in me, and my mother had my sister, and I think she was expecting my brother at the time, but uh, she couldn't. You know, they couldn't take me and. So my grandmothers told my aunt and uncle if they'd take me, they'd take me, you know, to go White Sands. And uh, it just happened that my uncle uh, lived out there. So strange things happen. I can't explain it. Now, this isn't where my story ends Ben. After that, uh, when I have placenta previa later on, uh, I die and I go back up again after having placenta previa. My fourth child that just died March Sixteenth, 2019 and it's like yesterday but she was like an extraterrestrial child I had created in me uh, a long time ago but uh, I died and went back up and came back down and she was different, she was born with a little tail, they cut it off but uh, we both died and she remembered being up there in space, she said she was hanging the stars so she remembered the stars when I came back in and so did I so we both had a similar memory we discussed as adults before she died, but uh, she's gone now. But uh, we we did discuss doing this Ascension Cosmos Oracles, or Ascension Church, Ohana, Ascension Center Organization, and Richard wasn't a part of my life then, but to make a long story short, the UFO Association, because I was... Uh, On an investigation coming in from Hawaii after uh, all this has happened to me, I I went into law enforcement, criminal justice, and the Navy looking for answers truthfully. So that's when I had written to Leo Sprinkle and uh, Ruth Montgomery a book. But oddly enough, nobody knows what I'm telling you now about me, and I did not discuss it with anybody, not my mother, not anyone, okay? So this story coming out now later on in life, is simply because uh, people want me to put the timeline together, but I never would put it together like connecting knots, dots. But with Richard, with him and many people coming forth, I decided you know to help people. So that's when Stanton Friedman, me and Tom, he was over doing a show. Now, Stanton, when I was a kid and I was still in the Navy, the Navy came and got me and took me to Dallas, Uh, which was at Millington Air Force Base. I qualified there for something, uh, something to do with Ronald Reagan and air traffic controlling. I'd just come back in from an investigation in Africa. But uh, now this is uh, later on after I'd already died and had my daughter and gone up and come back down. So I'm trying to figure out, do these angels have anything to do with these extraterrestrials, Ben, if you can appreciate it at 84? Okay, so just stay with me here, right? I can't prove any of this. So I go and I uh, get involved with the government and go into the Department of Navy, and Stanton Friedman and I cross paths over a case for the government and for the Navy. With uh, He and I cross paths in Louisiana where I was born. We went down uh, to Jesse Marcel. I don't know if you know who Jesse Marcel is. But he was the man that held the uh, weather. It wasn't. Yeah, he held the weather balloon. But he got some pieces of the original Roswell UFO crash. So when I was doing the investigation with Stanton T. Friedman, he and I crossed paths again in Roswell when we were doing the investigation on Roswell, and we had two crashes. Now the crash that we uh, we we called it two crashes, and he wrote a book on the crash at Corona. Stan did while we were all doing this with my husband and for Ronald Reagan, but uh, we weren't allowed to talk about it. Now, uh, my husband and I had the book on, on crashes, and it was like majestic. My code name was Magic, M-A-J-I-C. But see, now, I still hadn't put together. I just done looking for answers, but I was in the Navy, and I'm uh, they put me with my husband, so I've got to tell that story, too. But what happened is we did the investigation. We went out to Roswell. Me and my husband Stanton T. Friedman. I met with Glenn Dennis uh, at, at the Mutual UFO uh, Museum in Roswell and Hot, uh, 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 Mr. Hot, Colonel Hot, H A U T. But later on, I talked to his daughter that's running the museum, and she asked me if I wanted to come be a speaker. You know, like with Stan, they had Stan before, but this was later. I didn't want to be a speaker, and I was driving a big truck coast to coast and, you know, not trying to be public at all. So all this was undercover. So uh, I wound up doing an investigation for Stanton T. Friedman and uh, Don Berliner, or Berliner, uh, and uh, he asked me to keep up with the books because when I was traveling, some of the books he was selling, he wasn't getting the money for. So we had to get all into how books were sold in the UFO business. And that's a whole other story in itself. But telling the story is one thing. Writing it in books is another. And then having proof that you were uh, actually doing your own internal ops or internal investigation while in the government <laughs> and having died is a long story coming forth, you know? But I thought I'd share that because I can't prove angels or extraterrestrials exist. But just so you know, I have met them. I don't know if they're angels or extraterrestrials or both, Ben. But when I worked in the government, I met some in Washington, D.C., tall whites. And then when I was in the field, as uh, owned my own company, Assured Confidential Investigative Reports, the men in black is what I call them, because they would never tell me what part of the government they were. I had been doing FBI cases in Birmingham, Alabama, with James E. Posey working with FBI agents and training maybe some of the girls that were new in the FBI that uh, carried a gun in their purse or went out on an investigation, didn't know how to do in the field ops. or, in the field is different than book training, You're right? So I got to help them at early age. But that's all training and investigations. And then Reagan got shot, and my husband and I were on that case. So a lot of the investigations that we were doing were crossing, and it was very hard to keep them separate. But by the time all these young kids come out, they've got their stories all whatever they believe, twisted or beings they see, whether or not they are or not. But it takes on a folklore because even with Gaia, they can't prove anything. They just have people talking like we're talking. And so you don't know what to believe. So what I tell people is to use discernment, uh, share your experiences, tell your own story, and everybody is the author of their own life story, so we keep it very clear. So first-hand experiences, own your own name, own your own domain name, and then put the information out to your best of your ability to be the best you can be, because I was writing for Canada, and I worked with people in Canada on UFO investigations. But the handbook that I had, my husband and I had, was for Enfield, and so did uh, some other people. And uh, Stan was very interested because they were trying to prove that Majestic 12 was was uh, real, and of course it was the Majestic 12. You know, so the history is all there, and people can find it. And at one time, the CIA and the FBI had all those files out for open source intelligence, and I. I read a lot of them and pulled them, you know, while I was uh, uh, with Ace Folklife. You know, this this company I represent now is a strictly a, a club of archivists. And I've gotten with Jan Aldrich. I've had Dr. Bruce McAbee. And you should know his name, Ben, Dr. Bruce McAbee, Ph.D., and Jan Aldrich. I've written some names here with yours and Richard's because important. Oh, I'm sorry, my dog's barking. But anyway, I've got a story to tell, and hopefully, Ben, you can help tell it before you pass on since you haven't had any, but you're doing moon investigations. I've known several people in Italy and
3: uh, Hi Coco. Italy
0: and Norway, like you said, but I was thinking you were talking about another gentleman. But people all over the world, Ben, for years have gotten in touch with me, especially when I was writing for UFO Digest or Dirk Vanderplug back in 2006 and seven, And then Robert Morningstar took over that publication with his daughter when he passed. But when I was telling my story in 2007, I talked about my husband working at NASA and working in the uh, typing pool, and I was allowed to go up there. And all hell broke loose on the Internet. And uh, the Catholic Church came out, CERN came out, Russia came out, and you'd think the world was coming to an end. It was really weird how everybody came out right when I started talking. And Dirk and I wondered, what the heck is going on? And then Kevin Smith was an international Interpol police officer, and he was tracking me from Louisiana, which sort of spooked me, but they he died uh, in um I will say people died, but they die awful suddenly like David Roberts, like, you know, Robert David Steele just died, you know. So people die in this business. It's like, my, people come and go from this planet in this UFO business really quickly. But I lost Dirk Vanderplug, my publisher in Canada, Toronto, and then I lost Kevin Smith who had me on his radio show. I'd never been on a radio show. And Dirk asked me to go on, and so we were just going to come out. So I wrote uh, stories in 2007 and 8, probably through 2012, when I came on the radio. So about five years, and you can find those, Ben, and read the history of how we started creating all this that you're talking on today called UFO Association. Now, I know where everything is, but I know how to go get all the data and bring it into one place I just haven't wanted to I didn't really want people to know my whole story so I don't know that people will ever know the whole story from one person but I put a lot of data a lot of stories on UFO Digest in Canada I put books out on lulu.com I did uh, Knowing Cosmology on Amazon.com. That's just to get people started in cosmology. And then, of course, we've got these radio shows where I introduced the first alienologist. I introduced Stanton T. Friedman, of course, being the first geophologist, and giving him his name and doing the father and then the MUFON thing. Uh, They gave him awards. But we took a long time in the history of the Internet and cyberspace culture building this community with ARPA-DARPA, you know, Net Solutions, GoDaddy, uh, ICANN, and all that. It's because we needed it to get all this data information. But the UFO industry has a lot to do with uh, how we've been going forward. And Jesse Marcel was right. And then I want to mention, Ben, you should read uh, Philip Corso's book called The Day After Roswell, because a lot of us in ufology, we start with Stanton Friedman's books, and the day after Roswell. But we go all the way back to Donald Kehoe and before we had Project Blue Book. So we don't consider those people you mentioned as real ufologists, just so you know. None of those people you mentioned in UFO Association. We mentioned people like uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, uh, Jan Aldrich, Stanton T. Friedman, George Pryler, uh Let's see, uh, Brian uh, Green and, of course, Kehoe. But we have a whole history. And you may want to look it up, Ben, under Center for UFO Studies, QFOs.org. Okay? and So we we work with real ufologists, real people that write uh, all their history of doing actual research in and outside the government. And then I think what we're going to do, Ben, is make people understand the difference as a hobby, as ufologists, meaning the study of real UFOs, you know, the material, whether they're uh, of the planet or off-planet, interplanetary, or if they're interdimensional. And that's what I wanted to do here with alienology, ufology, cosmology, phenomenology, is get these categories set up. And where you, people like you and, ben, and Richard, can take over, and and you you built your business of the ET is here on your NASA photograph, photographs, right off of Google and NASA, and you may yes, want to Google. explain that because that's it, a whole yes. new, that's more astronomy, and a you need to go into that because that's like topography. And map making, yeah. yeah. but that is a totally, in, you know, totally different set studying UFOs and alienology. But I'm all for it because I like NASA. But go into that a little bit about mapping with Richard. And I'm going to mute now, but I, I wanted you to see the difference because these people that have devoted 50 years in the government and coming out of the government, and they've devoted so much of their investigations, you know, they don't even consider Richard Dolan a ufologist, or Nick Pope, even though Nick worked in Britain, they don't consider Nick Pope or Richard Dolan or Greer or even Michael Sala in ufology. They really don't. So everybody is okay. considered a historian or a researcher or an author. So we need to define the difference between people that study aliens. Now that, you know, if you want to talk about uh Emery, uh, coming on with David and Corey is how they got started with David. You gotta go back and track the history of David saying that he he was a psychic like me. He started as a psychic reading books and he uh was said to look like Edgar Casey. He studied that. And he became a well known author and he moved himself, you know, from I guess Denver to Colorado, Colorado or out with Gaia over to uh, L.A., I think, where he's living with his new wife. But that's a whole story in itself with David following Law of One and uh, Carla McCarty. So I want you to look at their history. At 84, look at the history of these people. Don't just take their word for it because they're putting stories out on Gaia. Just so you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Gaia people love Gaia. It's a great platform. But I'm just telling you that we've got to separate our ufologists from alienologists, from cosmologists, from historians, and then from entertainers and people that tell story. Because Corey has taken his, and he's a friend of mine on LinkedIn, but in the business of being small businesses that are making industry in the ufology business, Corey has taken his into comic books. I don't know if you know that or not.
1: Yeah, yes, I'm familiar with it
3: yeah but I know, I know how, he's doing
1: the, yeah the depth of it i don't don't know, but I do know he's doing that, yes,
0: but as far as you're eighty four you understand how people will say label uh because I got in trouble even as an author and a writer with people that were harassing me because they were saying you know my stories were too colorful
3: <laughs> for years
0: <UFO laughs> I when i they didn't know I was telling my truth but To them, it seemed like I was delusional, I'm sure. But uh, you see what I'm saying, that this show is so important for the history of how we're going to get down the different topics. And uh, Richard can be very real about that because he's had some strange and outrageous experiences like I have. But they basically want to put them over in uh, quantum physics and neurology and put us under strictly near-death experiences. Uh, so I don't know how you feel about that But especially with you reading all these experiences That Dr. Stephen Greer is saying Are teaching people to go out and do OM um or OOM um Or remote viewing and looking up and seeing But I have seen UFOs myself I know they exist I saw them from uh, I was in Rochester with my children So we had a sighting And then they followed me around in Houston I had the black elk come over me Not making a sound so I've seen the black triangles, and then I worked with MUFON and uh, Mutual UFO Network in 2008, reported at midnight when my dogs were barking. I went outside and was one of those black triangles with uh, a red light, and I put it out there, and I put my story in MUFON, and Barry Gaunt took the story and in investigation. But I was working with Center of UFO Studies with J. Allen Hynek when he and his secretary were meeting in Colorado, and then he had me from Lowry to Edwards Air Force Base. So there's stories that haven't been even told yet. So uh, there's a lot out there that's not even been written yet because I just don't know how to pull all the stories together. And when when Emory came along, when David, Emory, and Corey came along, they muddied up the business in the event business and the stories with Bob Brown and uh, Veronica that has uh, – Contact in the desert, and Bob Brown had all the events, and then they started the international uFO uh convention that Janet got involved with me, and we met Robert O'dean or she did it right there in Arizona with uh that group and so uh I talked to Richard Dolan coming on here as a historian, but he knows I'm an investigator type. But I wouldn't give my story to him because he just wanted to collect them himself, right? So people go around collecting other people's stories and experiences and putting them in books like Dr. Raymond Moody or John Mack, right, and many other people. But there's some great books. So start with Roswell or start, start with, uh, of course, Jesse Marcel and Stan Friedman's books, folks, and, and Philip Corso. Colonel Philip Corso, and then my life picks up. Yeah, my my life picks up with uh, Senator Strom Thurmond and Philip Corso with that Roswell book. All right, yeah, I've got a huge huge history with this, but I guess (laughs) you could say I've lived and breathed it. I just don't know how to separate (laughs) how to help everybody because I've had so many people get on my case to keep Corey Good, Emory Smith, and uh, let's see, Corey Good, Emory Smith, David Wilcock, and Michael Sala out of the ufology business. But now Michael Sala, Dr. Sala in Hawaii, has been excellent as a presenter and uh, doing his work from Australia in what he calls exopolitics. Yes. Him and Alfred Lambert Weber producing disclosure with Steve, uh, what's Steve's last name, with Paradigm. Uh, Damn, I've forgotten his name. Anyway, I talked to him years and years ago. But I'm having a senior moment. But anyway, it's very important that we get this out there. But people understand it's a very serious business. But the folklore, we're separating the stories we can't prove, like Corey, Emery, David. They're just storytellers, okay, like we are right now. (laughs) We're telling stories. So uh, back to you, back to you, Richard. And however you want this to go, you've got over an hour yet with Ben. So let Benny tell about NASA and how there's so many people that are, have a hobby, Richard, of collecting pictures, including Ken Johnston. So mention Ken Johnston, if you will, on our board of directors, Richard. And I'm going to mute. Back to you, Richard.
2: All right. Well, that's quite an array of history, to say the least, not to mention that, you know, you're sharing personal experiences as well, which unfortunately, personal experiences by rote, most of the time, there are very few, if ever, witnesses of what's going on when we actually experience it. And that's why it cannot be proven one way or another, because naturally, most people are just going to say, well, you've got to be talking out your head, because, you know, these kind of things just don't happen. And we can neither prove nor disprove them, other than the fact that, yes, we had first-hand experience in it now yeah are we storytellers sure because i mean that's our story that we're reliving or sharing our personal experiences that have happened in the past and uh of course there is when it comes to the subject matter of men in black Well, then, you know, uh, we have two different varieties of that as well because we have government agents and you could also say that there were extraterrestrials that took on the same semblance of wearing black uniforms or black suits that have intervened with people in crisis and a number of other things and they suddenly appear out of nowhere and then they suddenly disappear. So, and yes, NASA, of course, has all kinds of archived records of photographs of various spacecraft and, and, and so forth that have been discovered not only uh, through the military, but also uh, as witnessed directly during some of their space voyages and so forth. So if you would like to continue on in, in regards to uh, NASA or that in, that line of information, that would be welcome, Ben.
1: Yeah, Thank you, Richard. Uh, uh, regarding uh, Dr. Greer, uh, he mentioned uh, he had a video or two out in uh, which he was in the mountains as a young boy and uh, had experiences with uh, a an extraterrestrial uh, vehicle of sorts, and at least he thought that's what it was. And uh, I guess his his major maybe his major contribution would be the the. The recording of all of those people while they were still alive that that did have a, a, a connection to Area 51 and, and other places. Also, uh, in uh, regard to uh, to David Wilcock, uh, I'd like to say just a little bit more about him. Uh, some of the people, like Emery Smith and Corey Good and others, Jason, I don't know if, uh, Jason Rice came out to David, but they came, uh, to David, uh, they came out, uh, from the, the programs. In the case of Jason Rice, he was, uh, hypnotized, uh, on video and, uh, he was questioned about his experiences in the secret space program and also recently, uh, uh, a retired Navy SEAL and Eleven years after that, with the CIA, uh, Michael Jaco uh, also was invited over to Gaia, and Barbara Lamb uh, also put him under and uh, regressed him to tell about some of his experiences, and they were quite interesting. And uh, he's finding out uh, more and more that he did have, uh, that he was part of the uh, secret space program. And uh, I, I did see the video with him uh, being hypnotized, so it looks real, and I think it uh, probably is real. Uh, as far as the NASA photos, I, I'd like to address those. Uh, down at uh, Antarctica, I used the, uh, the uh, Google Earth Pro uh, app, that anybody can get, uh, instead of using it online, they should download it to their own PC so it'll be nice and stable and whatnot. But just having it is one thing and and zooming around and looking at stuff is another. But you have to take into consideration the time zone, uh, the coldest, warmest periods down in Antarctica, the warmest months. And then you take into consideration whether the sun is shining and whether it's not, and they have a, a, hist, a, a history time slider that you can learn to use on that, and uh, you can you can could get you could, you get the optimum chance of finding something down there by working with it like that. As you, as you uh, zoom in tight, you you can find some things down there. And that's uh, that's the way I did that. Now I did have another point about that, but uh, that's that's the essence of it. You just need to learn to use that uh, that app pretty really well and and go in really tight. Oh, another point I want to to share with your audience today: if you do go down there and do some uh, research, or any water body, I I found some things in other water bodies. Like in Chile, I found another underwater installation and. Uh, and other places, and uh, you'll find that uh, when you zoom in on these water bodies, uh, you will see uh, an algorithm kick in. If there's something there that can be made up of many different things, it, it will obscure, it'll it'll blanket what you're trying to see. And I've found that that those algorithms are written in there. Uh, uh, apparently by NASA, and dictated to uh, Google their app. So you have to learn how to outsmart that. You have to work through the, uh, go back in history, in different years and different months and different days until you you get, get a feel for it. And that's how I went about getting these images down there at, uh, at Antarctica. You just have to become, you just have to become a, uh, pretty good at using Google Earth Pro. In the case of the uh, of the uh, industrial complex on the moon, uh, I actually just got very fortunate. Uh, if you use Google Earth Pro, which uh, works quite well, it will give you uh, the coordinates anywhere you are at any time. Whereas uh, the World Wide Telescope product of uh, Microsoft it will tell you where you were, but it, you you can't. It has no place to uh, plug in coordinates, so you can go to a place. And so what I did, I uh, I looked uh, around that North Polar area, and they have what I call false shadows. They're heavily painted over, kind of like a like you'd spray a T-shirt or something. They they want you to think, apparently, that it is a shadow, but it's obvious to everybody it's not. It's, just, it's painted there, and that, that's a dead giveaway. There's something there that they don't want you to find. So I couldn't see anything with Google uh, Earth Pro there at the, uh, in that area. And so what I did was uh, I went over to the uh, Worldwide uh, uh, Telescope and looked in there, and the shadow was there but apparently the World Wide Telescope people did not paint it over quite as thoroughly as Google Earth wrote it, and I was able to penetrate it. I looked down in there, and uh, if uh, if people in your audience want to do this, once you get into that and go to my website, PelhamPlanetaryResearch.com, under the lunar uh, pictures or photos of the complex, You'll find the instructions there. And I've got a photo there with a white arrow pointing exactly where it's located. And so what I had to do in order to determine where it's where it's at or tell somebody where it's at, I had to go there and Google Earth Pro. wouldn't let me see, but it would take me there and I could get the coordinates there. And so then what I did was took, took the... Uh, the uh, worldwide telescope out and uh, took screenshots and then lined up the uh, the lay of the land, if you will. And uh, it's the crater, Hermite crater, is uh, is there and it's pronounced. And you have to rotate it just right to get it exactly where this place is at. But it's kind of a long story and it was a little detailed how I was able to actually get in there. But I fixed it now where anybody can get in there. All you got to do is go to the North Polar area of the moon on the World Wide Telescope app and pull that up, zoom in on it, and make sure the landscape matches the photo that I have on my website. Once you get that all lined up, all you've got to do is zoom in just a little ways and the, you'll see the uh, complex come into sight and it has a big alleyway it's a little bit diagonal from, from left to right, uh, rising as it goes to the right. It looks like a, uh, a huge alleyway where they bring in uh, equipment and maybe take equipment out, but it's clearly there, and you can actually see it in the, uh, in the uh, Worldwide Telescope app. Once you get there, you, you just take a screenshot, and then take the screenshot, and if you have a Photoshop or something like that, a good photo processing software, just paste it in there, and then work with your lighting and your contrast and saturation and whatnot. And you can draw, you can draw that photo right out. So I, I just wanted to share that with with as many people as I can. I'd like for the whole world to know that that complex is really there because it can help with disclosure, Richard.
2: Well, are we talking something that's man-made, perhaps created by the military or created by our government, or are we talking something that is extraterrestrial, perhaps?
1: Yeah, good question, Richard, and uh, that's why I wanted to get someone to uh, remote view it and see if they can pick up uh, which beings are actually there. Uh, it's uh another thing I can add to that richard is it's in that north uh, polar area, and I looked in Google to see the uh the temperature of that place it's uh i mean wow, it is cold double cold triple cold there, so I just assume that it's so cold uh, that it what I'm seeing there must be in the, like a uh, a dome, perhaps a dome. Uh, to shield the people from the, the cold, and the, it's a transparent-type uh, dome that's there in order for me to see that. So I think maybe that's what's going on there. If, if it's our people, they would be inside that dome there. But I suspect it's, it's most likely, my gut feeling is that it's extraterrestrial.
2: Well, yeah, I would think so too, simply because we're talking the dark side of the moon, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, let's see. It's uh, it's actually as you face the moon, as as you as you face the moon in your browser, you just
2: kind of oh, okay. go
1: straight up there. Mm-hmm. So it's in the it would be the light side there. As best I can figure, it, it's in the light side, and I've got the. Uh, by the way, I've got the coordinates on all the photos the actual coordinates. But you just remember, you cannot use them on the, the Worldwide Telescope app. I contacted support there, and they said, no, you couldn't. And I told them, man, that is a major shortcoming there. Uh, but you can go down once you you see something you like. In the lower right-hand corner of the Worldwide Telescope app will give you the coordinates, but it will not... Uh, to give you a way to uh, to plug a set of coordinates in and go there, but uh, my picture is a nice clear picture there on my website with a white arrow, and it's uh, with a little just a little bit of uh, persistence. Anyone with uh, rudimentary uh, photographic skills and computer skills can go there and do that.
2: That's real interesting for sure. And, yeah, I've been to your website and I've, I've actually gazed at some of the pictures. And, yes, it really is kind of, uh, well, it's just one of them curiosity question things because yes. it's obviously something there, but who is using it and exactly for what purpose is yet to yep. be told if, in fact, it ever gets told. That's right. And, That's you know, a
1: wonderful story.
2: <laughs> exactly. <That's
1: the> <laughs> Maybe we'll find out in her
2: lifetime, Richard. I hope so, yeah, I, I think, think a great deal of uh things are going to be revealed in in the next ten, twenty years or whatever you know that that there's a lot of information and a lot of truth about to come out uh, I have a friend that used used to have a neighbor named James, and that's all the significant that's the only part of the name that I'll share simply because he was an operative in a, a somewhat of a district controller for the CIA in the past, and whether, in fact, he still worked for the government or not, I can't say whether one way or the other. Um, But he revealed that there had been uh, an actual crash and that, in fact, two beings, um, two extraterrestrials had been taken into Area 51 and that, in fact, uh, one had died uh, very shortly after the crash um, from Roswell and that in turn there was a second one that that actually stayed alive uh, for approximately two years and that I guess that there was some kind of means of communication. Uh, If it were telepathic, then, you know, eventually they would have to have someone that was sensitive that could translate what was being said. But obviously there was some kind of exchange communication-wise of information and so forth. And so, you know, this leads me to believe that, yes, our technology has leaped forward as far as our space program is concerned, as far as uh, our aerial surveillance ability and that kind of thing has probably leaped forward to some extent. Exactly how far, I can't tell you because, again, you know, this is all confidential information and uh, I don't have direct access to it. But I do find it uh, extremely interesting how a great many persons have come forward and attested to the fact that you know that there were actually uh, live beings collected from a crash site and that technology was shared and of course uh, exactly how extensive that technology was I can't say Uh, but again it attests to the fact that we are not alone and I don't believe that we're alone simply because there's too much uh, archived history on the planet in various cultures and various civilizations that have pictographs of alien-looking beings uh, with, with elongated heads, and, and they just don't look human in these pictograph stories. And, you know, uh, when you when the natives have been uh, spoken with or interviewed or whatever, they attest to the fact that the people came from the sky or you know, that's what their history and their, and their uh, heritage tells them about and so forth. Um, so there's a lot to... There, there's a, it's gaining more and more weight, I guess you could say, perspective-wise, in this day and age, that, yes, we are not alone. We've probably been visited for thousands of years by who knows how many different kinds of aliens, and who knows... For all I know, maybe the aliens originally seeded the Earth. That's a possibility, too, that can neither be proven nor disproven, simply because, you know, uh, science has yet to find the actual evidence where it shows that we were ape-like creatures and then, in turn, we turned into humanoids. Uh, know. The, the, you know, the the man is missing, okay, and has been missing and has never been found,
3: <laughs> Uh <laughs>
2: So, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I have a sort of a creationist sentiment from the aspect being that, you know, I believe that God created us and then in turn, you know, all the animals upon the earth. And so uh, I don't necessarily believe in the, the story of, you know, uh, becoming this and becoming that and becoming this and becoming that until eventually you become a human being. Now, of course, I perfectly respect, you know, that tradition and that belief, uh, the transmigration of spirit, per se, you know, that one lifetime you might be an ant, and then another lifetime you might be a tree, and then another lifetime you might be a buffalo, and then another lifetime you might be a uh, gorilla, and then the next (laughs) lifetime you might be a human being. I mean, you know, uh, that's a tradition and belief system in the Far East, and, you know, that's I respect their tradition and their belief just as much as I would hope they respect ours, you know. Uh, where ours you ours know, is more or less a questioning a society. Do what?
0: Are you trying to tell me that you don't resemble a gorilla or an ape
2: <laughs> or a monkey? <laughs> nope, afraid not.
0: Well, you got a uh, head, two li- legs, two arms, and a torso like they've got. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I don't. <laughs> well, their arms are a <laughs> great deal longer than mine, thank you.
3: <laughs> their arms are all at the length of
2: length of the tor- down to the length of the torso, torso all the way to the feet. Uh, now, well, if I see know. a human being that's got it's got hands that match the feet, I'm running, okay? Because no, that's not normal.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about getting way out there in Ace Folk Life folklore around the world. Now we have uh, Bigfoot and Sasquatch and uh, Skunk Ape. And the Gigantopithecus, I don't know if you gentlemen are aware of all that, but it's very high uh, drama in paranormal television shows these days, and we're under today the topic of paranormal, if anybody in the journalist business cares, uh, or in the radio Uh business We're public visibility And we are category paranormal But I would like to say That there is a genre That has crossed over like uh, I want to say Dr. Ben For some reason but Ben Pastor Ben, Ben Pelham uh, Mentioned earlier today But You know, Dr. Stephen Stephen Greer has his own understanding, and he has well-acclaimed notoriety around the world for working with the government and for assigning uh, an association with his name, and I respect him uh, deeply. So don't get me wrong about Dr. Stephen Greer or Dr. Michael Sala, who uh, has a Ph.D. in something, uh, but I do follow him on LinkedIn and uh, Michael Sala in Hawaii because he brought Carla when she was uh, in Kentucky over before she died. Uh, she was in kidney failure a lot, but Jim McCarty was her husband. So Dr. Michael Sala has uh, been good for Hawaii and for exopolitics uh, with Alfred Lambert Weber. But um, as far as me and what we're talking about with these gentlemen today, folks, on UFO Association, I want to remind people that we have this psychic network group that I started because I had a flash of fire hit a tree when I was building a big corporation. I was already offered $5 million and turned it down for my business. I wasn't even up two or three months when a gentleman that had just sold his Coca-Cola Uh, franchise in Atlanta, Georgia, flew me up to Canada where he and his girlfriend were. But they had been to Maui and seen a store uh, that a gentleman put in, and they liked it. It was all my products. So they flew me first class up to Canada, It's a real interesting story, to talk to me to give me $5 million. But I turned it (laughs) down, and... Now I sort of regret it. <laughs> I mean, we all make mistakes, right? Okay. Fights, I, 2020. 20. I never I never you made one that big yet, Teresa. Yeah. That's oh, how I don't. started a company but a brand and a you know, an idea. So there's money to be made in your ideas, folks. But uh you know, when I was on this case now this is after I did that. After I turned down the $5 million and all that, it became a well-known, and then I had to walk away from the money because the Men in Black, they had a certain company tracking me, and I didn't take care of the money or the accounting. Another gentleman did our company, and he was with Dean Witter-Reynolds, but he met me through SCI Seminars, you know, and Tony Robbins motivational speaking kind of group. So it was through motivational speaking that I was able to meet other people through Sci Seminars that put together a corporation, but I was more interested in Ascension Center and Psychic Network where I met Michael Jackson and his nonprofit. So I was trying to go for, you know, the psychic nonprofit side at the same time I was being offered millions. For another company and turned it down. So, you know, like I said, well, Richard said hindsight. Is 20 20. But for today, okay. this is a nonprofit I'm putting together called Ascension Cosmos Oracle's Corp. It's a legal entity and it is nonprofit. So if you guys want to help us do this, we're going to represent various uh, groups I've put together and formed alien contact organization with uh, people in Maui where Dr. Sala is. But Dr. Sala uh, does his own domain and website, I guess he's got his own following, as each individual does. (laughs) But what I was going to – excuse me, (laughs) just a minute. (laughs) I'm a cyborg. I have titanium in my neck. Hold on. I apologize, everybody. I have titanium in my neck, in this reality, from driving that big truck coast to coast, going to corporations (laughs) like Microsoft – U.S. Treasury, I broke my neck So i got titanium in there, I'm a cyborg But <clears throat> this thing about big and all that, there's a Speculation that Richard was talking About, uh, and Ben You know, this ESP thing And how you can draw people from another Dimension, if they walk in and out of trees That crosses over Into some of the old religions For the original uh, Shaman They were taught, allegedly by the sky people, or for those from the heavens came, whether they're Anunnaki or from the or the world of uh, Anu or An, the original king from another planet that was said to go via Nibiru, a planet that comes in and out of here every 2,500 years. So there's people – that's a whole – thread of uh, topics for one day sometimes with Ben tracking Nibiru in 2500 it comes in our orbit and goes back out and causes climate havoc and all that. So that's a story. Then the other story, like I said, is Sasquatch. Now the other story I want uh, Richard and Ben to remember or if they have time to do research, we can get the remote view on here, uh, Ben. I heard you mention remote viewers. Uh, Paul H. Smith said he may come help us. He's on a retreat Writer's Retreat in Ohio right now. Paul H. Smith is a remote viewer, one of the first out of Fort Meade. And uh, he teaches, like, Russell Targ and, you know, the Ingo Swan Group and the, the Army guys. So uh, Paul may be involved with us in the future on remote viewing, but he teaches classes on his own. He has his own platform for remote viewing, and uh, Paul H. Smith, com is his – I believe R V I E W E R dot com. Oh, Paul, I'll put you a plug in. <laughs> Free advertising, folks. <laughs> so uh Ben but Ben, that's due to you because you mentioned you'd like somebody to remote view, which they have done. Uh and I know Paul's done that, you know, the moon and all that. He went to Paris and talked about it. So there is some research already done by remote viewers out there. So we had a group called Stargate, and we had SRI, SRI uh, Stanford Research Institute, had the uh, Starfield and the Stargate program. And uh, they, uh, I don't know if Paul – I think Paul was a part of that or maybe before Fort Meade because that was started by the government, by a few guys sitting in an old table by, behind Fort Meade in the old Army barracks bin. And, and they started doing, like, remote stuff, table tapping. But Ingo Swan was the great – entertainer that got that put on the map, really, the front man, you know, like the presidents of the United States, we always have a front man for a big yeah. uh, think tank group, like RAND Corporation, but um I wanted to mention that the ESP line is a part, as well as the psychology and parapsychology, because gradually, with the group Mutual UFO Network, we gradually got people uh Kathy Marden, who was the niece of uh, Ben, uh, he, she wrote a book or two with uh, Stan. You know the guy that started this UFO association with me and my husband. And yeah. Kathy Marden and I talked. She's been on this show a couple of times. And she and Denise Marden, down here in Florida, where I'm at, they uh, Denise started a little support group of people of experiencers, and Kathy came and went to it. And they sort of – I don't know if they ever got a book written or not, but they started something. And uh, in 2008, Kathy and I and the captain, McDonald, I talked to him on the phone, and he was all excited because Mutual UFO Network, they had uh, Robert Bigelow's money coming in, right, with uh, the guy when I came on – what was his name? Oh, I forgot it. Oh, my gosh. I am getting so old, Ben. I don't know how you do it. Uh, The gentleman, the president of Mutual UFO Network, was a different man before uh, Captain McDonald came on. He's just a, I think he was a little, he was a pilot or something, and his wife and him. And I think her sister was running MUFON out of Cincinnati or right across from where I was in Kentucky, okay? So we go way back with – way before MUFON. I went back to NASA way back in the 60s when it came out of Wisconsin, and we had other groups that started before MUFON even in QFOs, okay, APRO. And uh, Jan Aldrich has some stories here, but I wanted you to know that we have separated the ESP business and the remote viewing and the psychic business under the paranormal desk, but it is all part of the UFO Association business and the UOP Associates because we have that stream of people that you can see interdimensionally or like Richard and I may say – We've had near death experiences. Are we? We don't understand how time can be stopped and moved on. But some great movies were by um, Dick uh, Richard, wait Dick, Dick. Oh, Richard, help me out. The guy that wrote uh, Philip K. Dick. Thank God, my brain is just fried today, guys. Philip K. <laughs> Dick, uh, the Adjustment Bureau. Uh, Oh, Going Up on Mars, what was that called? Uh, I can't think of all the names, folks. I'm so embarrassed. I'm My brain is not working. All, but I just wanted you to know, there's been some great movies that have come out. Uh, Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay? Total Recall. Uh, he wrote Blade Runner. So all this ties in, folks, to some great movie-making, and uh, I hope they bring back Debris, D-E-B-R-I-S, as a franchise. Richard and I were watching. They took off. But there's some great movies that come out and help us forward disclosure, whatever that's supposed to be. But I guess I've always been a part of soft disclosure since I was a kid in 67 with NASA. But in 87 and in 2007, 87 with Stan and 2007 with my husband in Canada. But we've been monitoring all the different lines of extraterrestrials. And uh, one thing that sort of gets on my nerves are these kids putting together the old program that was a PSYOPs. Uh, Astar Command was a PSYOPs, and they picked it up and put it in uh, reality. Re- in imaginary form on the Internet. So they have all these Pleiades groups and, you know, all these groups of people, and it was originally an intelligence operation based off of all of this from uh, the smoking man, MRU. Now, Richard, Richard can tell you a little about that with Dr. Richard Allen Miller and how we're working with them and his books. Uh, Richard – no, it was – what was it, Richard – was it MRU or SMU? You know, Stanford Research Institute. You had all it that. right. You had so, it
2: right. MRU was the organization overall.
0: Mankind Research something. But uh, telling a little, tell Ben a little in the listening audience a little about uh, us working with Rick Allen Miller because Rick, uh, Ben Richard. Uh, I've, I've been to Area 51, by the way, Ben. It really does exist for all you listeners out there. I've been there on several occasions through Las Vegas, and uh, the way Janet Airlines got started was over uh, CIA or security back then. I don't even know if they called it CIA back then, but his uh, girlfriend was named Janet, so they named it Janet Airlines. It's not me and Janet Lesson, although we kid about that. But tell him a little about Dr. Richard Allen Miller working in the X-Files. He wrote the first eight series or workups for X-Files. But Ben, I want you to know that part is very real in our community. All right, I'll mute. But the ESP part, Richard, and share him because we're writing books about that. And I'll mute.
2: I'm not sure exactly what direction you want me to take this, but I um, mean, you know, extrasensory perception. Uh, has been studied, uh, mind control techniques have been studied both in injecting substances into the brain as well as uh, what you would call certain audible tracks or whatever where the mind is is uh, controlled and thoughts, uh, control is actually done by other persons projecting their mental thoughts into the minds of others to get others to do what they want them to do and this kind of thing. This was all studied by MRU and uh, dr Miller, of course is is writing all kinds of books, and uh, now I'm having a senior moment. See, I'll need to quit passing that around
3: oh
0: <laughs> uh, we okay, yeah.
1: We're
0: entitled to it. Yeah. But to it. <laughs> I guess. This is, it's hard doing it off the cuff, folks. This is live, and we have to – none of this is scripted, by the way, so you can't say we're making it up because I guess <laughs> we're making it up as we go along, like how so many other – but there's lots of uh, different links and radio shows out there and television. But, yeah, Dr. Richard Allen Miller has a Ph.D. He's a GS-18 level. He's in charge of the bunkers underground for the government, so to speak, or it was at one time, or he still is, I think, the keeper of the keys for many people that make bunkers, and I've noticed in COVID-19, which would be interesting, even though it's not part of UFO Association, that a lot of people are going out and buying their bunkers, but there's some very famous movie stars and people with a lot of money that have those bunkers out there in Montana and Wyoming, all that, but don't let the world scare you, folks. Yeah, no, let's, this let's not get sidetracked,
2: on. you know. Let's yeah, not let's not Gary talk about people in their bunkers, all right? That's so totally off topic. Has nothing to do with ufology. Nothing to do with ESP. You know. And what these eccentric people want to do is is fine with me and fine with them. And if they got the money to do it. Hey, more power to them. But, you
0: know, think about deep underground bunkers. I'm sure I would like to know, Ben, did you ever study uh, any of the old guys that talked about working for the government underground? Because Area 51 has an underground and said you guys could talk about it. Deep underground bunkers, whether it goes to Colorado to deep underground, I watched them as a truck driver going in and out of Denver, Colorado, building that airport. And they dug the deepest hole you can imagine. Oh, my God. It was like we were up on the interstate sitting at the truck stop one day when Uzis, about 20 guys with Uzis came running into our truck stop. I went to the phone called FBI real quick. But I was like, what the heck are they doing? But that it said the deep underground bunkers go all the way from the new Denver airport all the way over to Area 51. Now, I don't know. I haven't got been privileged enough to ride on that monorail or whatever but i know elon musk is all big on deep underground uh you know caverns and going in the future you know for us traveling underground but i just wonder when they start boring out the ground during these earthquakes out there in la and stuff of course he's moved to austin now i think took his Starlinks to Austin going to space But you know this is also part Of ufology because we got Started with uh, what was it Schneider do either one of y'all know The Schneider the guy that blew his hand, uh, whether it was true or not His fingers off uh, yeah, I've, seen his, I've seen his videos I sure have yeah Okay yeah, well he, tell uh, people about Underground and I'll mute I, I, All I can say about it is
1: that I've listened to uh, several people uh that say they have uh Intel background. One goes by the name of Gene Decode and uh there's I can't think of the others, but there's quite a bit of conversation about the uh uh the underground uh,
3: <clears throat>
1: bunkers or installations, military bases. And uh, they talk about a rail system that crisscrosses the United States, and not only here, but in many, many places in the world. It's a high-speed. Uh, uh, it's a high-speed uh, rail system. It's uh, they call it lift, lift, uh, lift, meg or something like that. I can't even think of the name of it, but anyway, it doesn't have its full weight down, and, uh, <clears throat> and apparently you can go at tremendous speeds that's been kept from the, the general public, but there's quite a bit of talk about that right now, and I don't know, I don't guess you want to get off into uh, the cabal stuff, but there, for many sources are, are talking about a uh, ongoing uh, battle with the cabal people that's taking place in these uh, underground uh, military bases and these big tunnel systems around the world.
0: Oh, Phil Schneider, right? It was Phil Schneider. Yes,
3: Phil now, Schneider. Was
0: true or not? Yeah. But for a while, yeah. in UFO lore, yeah, that yeah. would be yeah. in UFO lore, because we can't was, prove or deny, but back in no, the day he was making right. the rain. His story We can't prove or deny his story. He did Absolutely. do work with with, he worked okay, with, one
2: uh, at a time.
0: He did work with uh, dynamite, though, from what we understood, and his father did, apparently. So uh, the mysterious death of Phil Snyder, uh, they've actually got that, like UFO patents and, and you know, what uh, Phil Snyder did. But there was also some guys back in the day, uh, there's a lot of names. Now, whether or not it's lower so we're probably with the UFO Association going to separate UFO lore, like we had Ace folk life stories, versus yeah. real UFO. What ufologists that study, like uh, Robert, uh, who? What was uh, the guy's name? Ben, that worked, and uh, even Richard may know Robert. They worked on the not the MJ, yeah MJ12 back in the day that worked in government business and uh, they became real good friends with Stanton T. Friedman over the MJ-12 project. What was his name? They were uh, researchers. And uh, I, I talked to him. You know who I am talking about? Uh, no,
1: I, I, I really, I'm not that far along in my research, uh, Teresa.
2: What was the project?
0: Oh, uh, MJ-12, the, the true story behind the government. You know, Majestic yeah, Twelve. Kevin Yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot
1: Kevin of Kevin Randall
0: was that Yeah. Stanton Friedman wrote a book called Top Secret Magic, Operation Majestic Twelve and Edward Ruppelt, uh, Edward J. Ruppelt, this uh report on unidentified flying objects. That's original in fifty six. And then KUFO's, I made a UFO uh, uh infomercial or video documentary for KUFO's, uh just because I had some time to do it before all my software got shut down, uh, got bought by GoDaddy. I, I'm the, the biggest mouth. I'll tell people what great stuff I've got going on and tell the people at GoDaddy they should really hit, discuss that and take it on. I'll be darned if they didn't. They bought the seven guys in Australia, Vidnami, right out from under me. And then I found out it was Samurai before Vidnami, but that's a good thing. So back to the UFO business. You, I do flying objects. Phil Schneider... Said to have worked under and had. Uh, now, there's two stories of people underground in the top secret level that came in and they were saying, uh, I'll just tell you what I can remember because I'm like Ben and Richard, we're all old guys and we're trying to tell a story here for the first time of us three coming together as UFO Association, trying to get some names in here, I guess. But, uh, Philip, uh, Kevin D. Randall, was a lieutenant colonel in Vietnam, and he wrote a book. Uh, he used to write for UFO Magazine, and I can't remember that guy's name. He had a show for a while. But uh, we'll go back to Phil Schneider was highly controversial, and his father was. And uh, he, he was said to have been down. They were. He would say how they took the dynamite to make blast out, I guess, before they got these big bore machines or maybe they had them back then. I don't remember. Uh they would blast out parts underground because back in the day the uh engineers the government back during World War II and World War I I guess we always were going underground and building these things. So they just took uh the ones and combined them with Area 51 and also where Phil was talking about was uh over in New Mexico, I believe, outside another air base. So he said he was like a government contractor, if I remember correctly, watching these old, old videos of him. Uh, Of course, I was alive back then. (laughs) But I'm not – yeah, I am that old. So I was watching him, and he would uh, talk about in front of these people at these events about him and his dad, but how he went underground, and these guys – surprised him now i don't know because one story is that this et alien a tall gray was giving a class to scientists invited from all over the world they were working with our government which you know that makes sense to me because i've seen a lot of that scientists engineers working underground okay so i have firsthand experience of that so that's parts believable but That story is that uh, a gentleman in the security just happened to walk to the door, and he happened to have an arm on, which is you're not allowed to have any type of weapon around extraterrestrials underground or even above ground in Area 51 or wherever you want to say they are, kept. Utah maybe now. I don't know where where all they're kept. But at one time, you couldn't have a piece on you. So that's the one story I got of underground base and that uh, when the guy saw the guy appear in the door, he blasted him and he had the right to as an alien because he didn't know if the man was going to shoot him because most people are scared of extraterrestrials. So the agreement was with our government, from what I understand, I'm just hearsay opinionated, okay? This is a, I'm a storyteller, okay? I'm just telling you the way I remember it. So that's one story, okay, for Richard and Ben and all you listening audience. The other story is where Phil Schneider happened to be going down, blasting out part of an underground for the government as a contractor. And when he uh, saw a gentleman uh, underground, these aliens, I don't know who shot first. I don't remember in the story that 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 was important. Whether the alien shot at Phil first, or Phil shot at him first. But anyway, I know that you're not supposed to have any weapons around extraterrestrials. But he said that the armed forces, uh, a gentleman gave up his life for Phil, that uh, brought the uh, like in a mine. They had an elevator down, and he put. Phil on the elevator coming down shooting. I guess he heard the ruckus or something. And uh, Phil said he saved his life. Phil said he got shot in the chest. And his hand, he'd hold his hand up to show. But we don't know if he lost those fingers with dynamite or not. But the odd thing about Phil Schneider is he became folklore. And he used to tell be a, uh, an event speaker for UFO business before we had ufologists. He was an entertainer based on – they didn't know whether to believe it or not. But whether he was real or not, he became part of our UFO lore, and uh, he got killed, they said, strangled to death. So I don't know. They said by suicide, but they couldn't figure out if it, his family or his ex-wife by however he was. They just don't know. So I don't know where that's at in the autopsy, folks, of Phil Schneider in the UFO lore or extraterrestrial business. But these are names that are really old in the old events with Bob Brown and other people uh, had his friends, uh, Mitchell and uh, who is that? Anyway, other people that had UFO events. So uh, that sort of the stories. But Roswell is really where we start telling. Before that was Foo Fighters. And if you've ever watched Steven Spielberg giving sort of an account on the movie Taken with little Allie Clark. And she's a little girl, and she's uh, got extraterrestrial DNA, and they keep up with her. So we've got a whole bunch of folklore that comes after her. But Phil Schneider and another guy named Thompson was the security guard. And then we've had a lot of people with Skunk Works and uh, Works. Now, one name I'd like to mention, John Lear, because John was with Mutual UFO Network, but he was the CIA aircraft pilot, and he became a very big name, John Lear, because of the Learjet and his father, so we can't leave him out today either, because he uh, worked over there and talked to Bob Lazar, and when Bob Lazar came out, he had the same Navy uh, pay stub that I did, and mine looked just like his and said the same company, so when I got A pay stub delivered or got that delivered to me To my door in Hawaii I remember it looked just like Bob Lazar So I believe he's telling the truth But Bob worked over there at Los Alamos too And Bob said he got To meet some uh, People underground at Area 51 At S4 And he uh, shares that He was asked To uh, work And decipher Or come up with some ideas being that he had a smart background and he was chosen by a certain gentleman, I can't remember his name, but uh, to look at this data and uh, certain pieces of paper were clipped together, but he remembers seeing the little grays and then he said he walked by a door once with a little bitty. We had metal doors underground, but sometimes we'd have a middle glass where you could see in and we'd have little screen wires through it, but he looked through and he thinks he saw a little gray, but he couldn't be certain of it. So he can't prove or deny in his memory codes, but he does remember looking at a UFO by the Greys. Now, whether that was one of the Roswell or one that came after, because we had, my husband and I had the story with uh, uh, Stan that we investigated with Glenn Dennis and all those people, and we had the two crashes, and we had two and two. So one we don't know, the government likes to take credit or radio waves for shooting down a UFO uh, during the Roswell incident in 47, but there was supposedly a lightning storm. So this is where we get the original flying saucers besides Kenneth Arnold flying over in Washington. And I went over and did that investigation personally in Tacoma, Washington with my husband. So I've been all out there to the Indian reservation. So I've done a lot of investigations on these stories for years and years for the government and for, you know, Ronald Reagan. But that was the first sighting. And the second one at Roswell, they had uh, two Uh, a crash of one it wasn't supposed to crash we don't know why it crashed the government says one thing the extraterrestrials say another they say it was imploded because it was off the assembly line because we make them in space interplanetary and when it came down It was new off the assembly line, and it imploded in pieces. So that's the one that Jesse Marcel got a piece of that they couldn't find. Now, when Stan and I was sent on that investigation, he said he put it in a coffee can. But then uh, Calvin Parker, that's come on this radio show, said, well, he told me he saw it. He put it in the bottom of a water heater. So that's Calvin Parker down here in Pascagoula. So I've dropped a lot of names, but these names are part of our, I don't know what you'd say, our thread. Richard, how would you say it? Calvin, I'll have Calvin. I love Calvin Parker. We can have Calvin well, I guess you Ben. Have you? Yeah? What, do I you, guess, what would you I say? I guess you
2: could say it's our living history. I, I'm taking hey, well, notes
1: well, on well, most I, of the stuff. Yeah, I, I'm going to look these guys up and, and ben, check on Ben, uh, do you know
0: Calvin?
3: Do
1: you know Pardon Calvin me? Parker?
0: No. Do you know I, Calvin I, Parker? I, I,
1: I plan to look him up. You know, I am familiar with uh, with John Lear. I've seen several videos on him, and also the uh, it's uh, it's off topic, but uh, a little. But nine uh, eleven is just around the corner, and uh, John yeah, Lear, you're right. he has some definite thoughts on uh, what caused that. And I oh I yes, Jeter was. I'm in total, total agreement with John Lear on what happened there at the Twin Towers. We'll know in a few days. Well, yeah. Let's not go there.
2: Let's not go there, okay? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's go. I just want to throw a little in about John Lear. I've seen several videos. of John Lear interviewed, uh, Emory Smith interviewed him several times and, uh, I've just I've researched him uh, and uh, he has an interesting background. He really does. He, I believe he flew for he does, thirty or thirty-one years.
3: Uh, yeah, he had a lot uh, of, of air. His
1: Dad founded the Learjet uh, companies, I understand it, and uh, he's an interesting man. Uh, his uh, I think his health is not very good these days, especially his vision. He seems to be having a lot of trouble with his vision.
0: Yeah. Thomas Morris and I got in, over there in Vegas around John Lear. But now yeah. the key the key about John Lear is, you know, he got Bob Lazar all involved, too. So he believed yeah. in Bob Lazar's story. And, but now before Bob Lazar was uh, Sean David Morton, M-O-R-T-O-N. Now Sean's gone to prison for something of a scam or something. I don't think it was. Him really, but I don't know I can't prove or deny uh, So that's Sean David Morton Took people to watch the UFOs And Thomas Anthony Sinisei Of Hawaii swears that Sean David Morton's Sands of Time If you want to read that uh, That is sort of on that line With John Lear If you want to go on down that Rabbit hole With uh, Sean David Morton In Sands of Time book on Amazon Ben but I strongly suggest you read uh, Corso's book, and then get yeah. Stanton T. Friedman's on Crash at Corona, and you know yeah. the Bob and you know the Benny uh, Barney Hill story with Kathy Martin, her the mm-hmm. niece, you know Ben and Barney Hill story, with uh, oh, yeah, Stanton they, and Kathy they, they were abducted. But, yeah. Right. And then, um, I want uh, you to read mine and my husband's read Roswell UFO encounters by me and my husband, because that's That's actually based on a true true investigation. It's by Thomas R. Morris. Roswell UFO encounters? I'll have to look it up because I never talk about it. But it's my husband. Let me put Roswell UFO. We did it with Stanton Friedman, but Roswell UFO. But I didn't tell everything because at that time we weren't allowed to put in about Jesse Marcel much Or even Me and Stan Stan and I Were going to write Another book So we were It was Roswell UFO Encounters I think Let's say Roswell Because they had A Roswell UFO Encounter Book before me I think it was Kevin Renard. Roswell Let me put Thomas R. Morris uh, It's I think it's on Lulu.com Thomas R. Morris uh, Roswell hey, no, that's right. Roswell you have encounters Thomas R. Morris, my husband, late oh, husband. T H O M A S R M O R R I S. Uh yes, it's I don't think it's out of print. Uh Ros- but he uh, he did a full scale investigation with me and Stanton T. Friedman and uh plus he was underground and I was underground. He was army and I was navy. But back in the day, we worked with Germans and people underground from uh, engineers, and they put those little ETs in bottles and stuff, you know. But the first one uh, went to Dayton. Oh. No, first it went to Dallas, Fort Worth, and then from there they took it to on over to Dayton, Ohio. So I don't know why the guy was in charge down in Fort Worth. Wanted to see it, but I do remember the path of the uh, truck driving between the, uh, you know, the on the back. Now we put one of the UFOs underground. That's why Phil Schneider was important, right? Because we did have underground bases in World War II, and we just started making them bigger. So that was. uh, Over there in New Mexico. It's all with military bases around it. So you can't get to the extraterrestrials without going through our government. I do know that because everywhere I went was underground, under military bases. In uh, Area 51, S4, uh, the uh, Archuleta Mesa was, uh, you had to go to Fort Bliss and go uh, either on the sand are either fly into the mountain, and the side of the mountain looks like uh, things are planted on the side and it'll open up. So you can get in by rail, you can get in by train, you can get in by the government uh, personnel carriers, or you can get in by airplane, but that's the only three. Oh, the trucks that come in, right, from the little towns. But those are real folks, uh, and they're they're pretty much, much talked about in the UFO business. But you can't get to them, okay? There's no way because you have to go on the basis. Uh, Some rail systems you might could in the little towns. Me and my husband went to see uh, because we were having to see how easy it was for people to get in as part of our investigation, right? But they do exist. They're real. But, uh, Ben, that was a real story. It's based on a real story. We fl- flavored it up a little bit with him and me meeting and put some sex in there because yeah. uh, we had – Yeah. But that was – All right. Spielberg. All right. Well, there's a lot we're to be We're about out of
2: time. About. Yeah, we're about and out of time, ready. so let's summate this thing. Okay,
0: okay you end it. but folks, will be – y'all want to do this again next Thursday, or you got other plans, Richard? You and Ben talk about it. And I'll play the music when y'all get through talking. We'll be back next week if y'all want to.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's fine with me. I mean, you know, this is a a wide array and a, a very, varied topic, of course, UFOlogy, because it has a long history and all that kind of thing. And I'm sure our audience has gathered a great many facts in regards to a great many people involved in different places and so forth. And, uh, it's all there. It's uh, the the knowledge is all out there, and yeah, it seems perfectly reasonable that we would have bases underneath military bases and tunnel systems and between bases and so forth. That just makes common sense. Simply because if a base were attacked, then in turn it'd have to have some kind of recourse that they could go to safety, and the logical conclusion would be it'd be underground. So, anyway, uh, you're welcome to join us again, Ben. Go ahead and give us. Uh, Tell our audience how they can reach you if you like.
1: Okay, Richard, thank you. And it's been a very interesting uh, show today. I uh, really find your story interesting, and uh, as well as Teresa's story, very interesting. Uh, people can uh, get a hold of me through my. Uh, I have it on my website. My uh, uh, email address is B is in Baker, P is in Paul E L L O M, at uh, Gmail. And uh, I'll be glad to do my best to answer any questions they might have. And I just uh, would like for them to go, if they can, to go to the uh, PelhamPlanetaryResearch.com, click on Photos, then go to Earth's Moon, and you'll see those 15 or 16 beautiful uh, photos of that industrial complex up there. And I'd like the uh, people in the audience as many as will to go there and actually do that their own images so it's been nice being with you Teresa today Richard and I thank you very much for what you do
2: well we appreciate your sharing and being with us as well Um, and that closes out our presentation Uh, you can reach me of course at rtknight35 at gmail.com and Teresa can be reached rather readily at tj morris agency that's t-j-m-o-r-r-i-s agency.com and uh, of course we have uh, we are on presently tj morris et radio and we appreciate everyone from following for following us and for listening and y'all have a blessed evening and thanks again and visit us again thanks bye